Amen. So good to be with you guys this morning. They even left me some guitar picks up here. Oh, we may get creative. So for those of you who don't know, my name is Dave, and part of my role as district superintendent overseeing 40 churches across northwest Indiana is to help churches who are going through the pastoral search process. And so I've been uh, meeting with your church board and having some great conversations and uh, getting to know them, also working through a process that we've been in to uh, be a part of this searching for, not just searching for who we believe needs to be the next pastor, but more importantly, searching for who God wants to be the next pastor here. So we have, uh, just a little update, we have been in a, a uh, in this process at a point where we have begun to look at some resumes and consider some uh, potential candidates. And so just want to call you to continue praying for your church board through this uh, time. They are uh, doing some, some of their research and homework and just really seeking the Lord's uh, guidance in all of this. So be praying for them as uh, we continue through that process. The, uh, the journey is not a quick journey on purpose. We don't push this, we don't uh, run after and be impulsive or spontaneous. We just sit back and try to ask the Lord to lead. So just keep praying in that way. And uh, thank you for those of you who took the survey that we had out there. It was really helpful to get some of that feedback and hear from you what your thoughts are, the way the Holy Spirit's moving in your life and seeing where uh, real life is headed. So thank you for that. This morning, I'm here to share a little bit of just uh, some of what's on my heart and mind for the church as a whole, not just for real life, but the church across the United States and around the world. And so uh, I want to invite you to join me, if you have your Bibles, into Ezekiel chapter 36, because we have some words here in Ezekiel. This is a prophet from centuries ago, and if you if you've read some of Ezekiel, you get some great stuff in here for the people of God that's still relevant for us today. And in Ezekiel chapter 36, these are some words we're going to read today that have been crucial for our specific denomination, even the Church of the Nazarene, coming out of what's known as the Wesleyan holiness tradition, has been a denomination and churches and congregations around the world that have not just asked people to accept Jesus but have invited people to follow Jesus and this idea of being holy. And so you'll, we'll, you'll see in some of what we read here this morning, this idea of what God wants to do in our hearts and uh, giving us a new heart and giving us his spirit. And so this, these have been crucial for our denomination. But what I want to explore this morning is how these are really crucial words for the people of God all over the world. So join me here, Ezekiel chapter 36. You've also got your sermon notes sheet that have this or be up on the screen as well. And read along with me, listen to the Holy Spirit, what he might be saying to us today. This is Ezekiel, God telling Ezekiel, beginning at verse 22. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Thanks be to God. This is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to him for this is something not just centuries ago. It's something fresh and alive for us today. And what we find here is some some really great stuff about how God wants to give us a new heart and put a new spirit in you. But what I want to focus on are the verses before that that talk about why. Why does God want to do that in us? What's really the motivation here, and I want you, if you, if you like to underline or circle things, I, I would encourage you to underline that part. I give you a new heart and a new spirit, remove your heart of stone, put my spirit in you. But if you were to circle something, I would invite you to go up a little further where God says, I will show the holiness of my great name. And just circling that to say that's really what's, what's, at, what's at the heart here. For God. This is not just crucial for a denomination in 2020. This has been crucial for the people of God for centuries. Even back at the very beginning, we find this idea of holiness uh, even in the, in the story of creation, in the narrative in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, very beginning, that part where God at the end of creating all uh, says that he blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Now, to really capture this, let's take a few moments to explore this word holy. It's just from a very basic perspective. Sometimes I think there's a lot of baggage that goes with this idea of holy that we need to work through. Because from a very basic perspective, the word that we translate into holy is a word that just very simply means set apart, different from, unique compared to others. And when we, what we see in Genesis 1 and 2 is when God says, this day shall be holy, he's saying that this one day compared to all other days will be a holy day, set apart, different, unique from all other days. And what we understand is this God is, the word is uh, that God rested, the, the language actually isn't like he sat on a recliner, propped up his feet and drank his lemonade. It's really this language of God sitting on a throne, that he settled into his kingship. And therefore, we set aside one day out of all the days of the week, one day a week, to be reminded who's on the throne, right? That's what we're here together this morning doing. We're celebrating the amazing grace of our king. We're celebrating how he is still sovereign Lord of all, and to him be all the glory and praise. But it's talking about this one day compared to all other days. Now, interestingly, note that it doesn't say this day shall be set apart from all other months. Or it doesn't say this day shall be set apart from all other years to come. He's saying this day shall be set apart from all other days. It's an apples to apples comparison. So this idea even of being different, unique, set apart, holy is an apples to apples comparison that we find early on at the very beginning of this conversation, this thread of holiness that flows through Scripture. And so what we find in Leviticus, as God is shaping his people, he's led Moses in leading the people out, and he's shaping them into a nation. And he says to them in Leviticus chapter 19, Be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
Now, this idea of being holy as God is holy is important for us to capture because it's not just centuries ago that God said this. And this idea of being holy as God is holy is important for us to take a moment to explore because we live in a world that makes it hard to really comprehend even what God is saying there. You see, we live in a world where we tend to categorize people in two ways when it comes to spirituality. We tend to categorize people as either believing in God, what we would call theists, or people who don't believe in God, called atheists, right? And so people fit into this, they either believe in God or they don't believe on, on just a basic structure. We categorize them in this way. And so therefore, this idea of being holy as God's, when we talk about God's holiness, what we tend to do is we think of God separate, set apart, different, unique from us. And so we tend to think about God in his omnipotence, right? He's, he's all-powerful, and none of us are really all-powerful, powerful, although I want to make my wife think I am all-powerful. I can do just about anything around the house, right? Or we talk about his omniscience. He's all-knowing, and none of us could ever be all-knowing, although at times we might want to try to prove that at work. Or we talk about his omnipresence, that God is everywhere at all times, all around us, and none of us in any way, shape, or form could be that, although I want my kids to think I am everywhere at all times, keeping an eye on them, right? But we know we can't. So we have this challenge of saying, well, God is holy in his, his all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing way, and there's no way any of us could be holy as he is holy, and so in our day and age, with categories like this, it's hard to really capture this. But when we step into the days of Ezekiel, step into the days of Moses, you see, they categorized people differently back then. They didn't really even have a category of atheists because in their world, everyone was either a monotheist, they believed in one God, or they were a polytheist, they believed in many gods. There really wasn't even such a thing as an atheist in their day. So when they talk about the holiness of God's or our God, they talk about it from a different perspective. It's an apples to apples kind of thing. Because here's the, the basic narrative of a polytheist is this, that these gods who are controlling all the elements of the cosmos, the sun god, the moon god, the water god, these gods are so busy creating this cosmos and shaping it and controlling it, and they, oftentimes this, the narrative says they accidentally create this planet Earth, and this planet Earth is created usually out of some kind of act of violence or lust or greed, and this planet Earth suddenly has all of this extra work that's involved for these gods. And so they decide they're going to create these slaves that we call humans, and these slaves will take care of that planet Earth for the gods because they're so busy taking care of all the elements of the cosmos. Well, these slaves obviously need the gods of the cosmos to pay attention to them. They need the sun, they need the moon, they need the water. And so these slaves decide they need to get the gods' attention every now and then to have a little more sun or have a little more water. So they, de they develop this thing called a sacrificial system. And the idea is, let's take an animal and we'll burn it on an altar. And so the, the smoke rising up into the heavens would get the gods' attention. The smell of the barbecue would make the gods pause a moment and... To, to give them a little bit of attention and maybe even have a little pity on them while they cry out as loud as they can so they can hear them from the heights of the heavens, we need sun, we need water. And the gods in their pity would say, all right, here's a little bit of sun, here's a little bit of water. Now, leave me alone. I'm so busy taking care of the cosmos, I really don't want to pay attention to you all. Just take care of that planet. So this basic narrative of the gods creating humans as slaves and really not wanting much to do with them 
And into this kind of context walks a man named Abraham who starts talking about a different kind of God. Because Abraham's narrative is about a God who came to him. That alone is unusual. Then it's about this God who says to Abraham, I want to be a part of your life. And Abraham starts sharing this narrative about a God who even makes a covenant with him. And who says, I love creation. I love this planet. I love all of the creatures. I love humanity. And I want to be a part of their life. And people hearing this narrative around Abraham start to say, now, that's a different God. That's unique. That God's set apart from all the other gods that I've ever heard of. And what makes that God holy is this compassion, this love. This care for all of creation and humanity, not as slaves, but now this God talks about us as children. He is a father loving us as his children. And we find then in this narrative where Moses is is leading the people out of, of Egypt and God meets them on a mountaintop and he says to Moses, I want to reveal myself to you, Moses, because you need to know who I am. And it's not God showing up and showing his flowing white hair and his white glistening robes. It's God saying to Moses, let me tell you who I am. And he says this in Exodus 34, 6, I am the gracious and compassionate Lord, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, showing mercy to generation after generation to the thousandth generation, and forgiving all wickedness, transgression, and sin. And we find this narrative where God is revealing himself to his people as a loving, gracious, compassionate father who cares about his children and cares about all creation. And we begin to understand that in Moses' day, Ezekiel's day, this idea of being holy as he is holy is based on this idea that who God is, what makes him set apart, different, unique from all other gods, is this grace and this compassion. It's this idea that when God says, be holy as I am holy, they totally got it because they knew that God, gracious and compassionate compared to all other gods, is inviting us as humans to be gracious and compassionate compared to all other humans, to be set apart, different, unique, as he is set apart, different, and unique. is about being loving, gracious, and compassionate, slow to anger, faithful, forgiving. And what we begin to realize then as we transition into the New Testament, that this is not just uh, uh, crucial for the people of God in the Old Testament. We find that this becomes crucial for the followers of Jesus in a couple of different places. One of them where Jesus starts to talk about how to love. And in one, one teaching, he talks about loving your enemies. And he says anybody can love the people, you know, that they like to be around. But, but what about loving even your worst enemy? That this is Jesus talking about love that is much different than what the world might talk about. And in that moment, it's Jesus. He uses this phrase, be holy as I am holy, but he tweaks it, just like Jesus loves to do with a lot of things. And he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's one of those moments where the word for us nowadays, we have to wrestle with this perfect because in their day, it's not flawlessness. It's more in this sense of wholeness. It's almost as if Jesus, instead of saying, be holy as your heavenly father is holy, says, be whole as your heavenly father is whole. And it's all about this life 
of love, a wholeness to the way you love others to the point that you would even love your arch enemy. This is like Superman loving Lex Luthor, right? Or this is like Batman loving the Joker, caring and compassionate and forgiving and merciful even to your arch enemy. This is like you loving that coworker that just for some reason seems to have it out for you. Or you loving that classmate that just seems to be a, a thorn in your flesh, so to speak. Or loving that neighbor that just rubs you the wrong way. Or the family member. Ooh, hope I'm not stepping on too many toes, right? This is us learning to love in the wholeness and fullness of the way God loves. But it really hit home for me when I realized that in this scripture in Ezekiel 36, that a phrase that I had you circle, I will show the holiness of my great name. In some other translations uh, of, of Scripture, there's a couple of different ways it's sa said that it's translated, I will sanctify my name. That's always a fun one uh, when we talk about sanctification in our denomination or in other holiness denominations. But the one that really grabbed my attention was the one that translated, I will hallow my great name. And I began to realize that when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, and he says this phrase in Matthew 6 where he says uh, that this is how you pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That Jesus just wasn't using some really cool churchy language just to try to grab their attention, but he was quoting Ezekiel 36 where God said, this is my desire, is to show my love and grace and compassion, my holiness to the whole world through you. And Jesus says, this should be our prayer. Father, show your holiness, the holiness of your great name through us. This is the, really at the heart of all of our prayers that it should be. And what's interesting is Jesus over and over uses this name, this great name for God, not almighty, not all-powerful, not omniscient, but Father. That the great name that he's asking us to show to the world is just this gracious loving, compassionate name, the Father. That this is the call for us still as followers of Jesus to hallow his name, to show the holiness of his great name. Does that mean I'm almost done? <laughs> <clears throat> so Matthew 5 verse 48 is the one I just quoted a little earlier where Jesus says, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be whole. In your love, grace, compassion, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, merciful over and over and over, forgiving all things. And what we find out is, is this is not just crucial for the people of God centuries ago. It's not just crucial for the followers of Jesus in that day as they're hearing him speak these words for the first time. But what we find is this is crucial for the church even still today. Because it's Peter who writes to the church in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. After Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and the call to the church still is, be just as he called you as holy, be holy in all you do. Be holy as he is holy. It's really still the invitation that we don't, just want to ask people to accept Jesus. We're really inviting them to follow Jesus as he modeled this way of grace and compassion. Some of my favorite part of this is what we don't catch in the English 
uh, we find in the original languages is this is actually plural. And so what's really saying is y'all be holy as he is holy. And what in that we need to recognize is this is a relational idea that our holiness, grace, and compassion is really only in relationship with one another. If I were just to close my doors and close my blinds and sit in my house and prop up my feet and watch TV and drink lemonade all day every day, I actually couldn't be holy. I might not ever do anything we might call sin or anything that's wrong, but I'm not being holy because there's no way to practice grace and compassion. This idea of y'all being holy as he is holy is the call for us as the church together in our relationships. And what we see all throughout Scripture, just as Abraham shares this narrative that people say, that's different, that's unique. As Jesus walks on this earth embodying this way of grace and compassion, people say, that's different, that's unique. We discover that this is really good news for people. Wow, you mean there's a way of living that is gracious, compassionate, merciful, and forgiving? You mean there's actually a group of people who are striving to live that way on a day-in and day-out basis? That this becomes good news, that there are people who actually care about one another, who see their Heavenly Father loves them and cares for them and invites them to do the same to their brothers and sisters. We find that humanity for centuries has been longing for that kind of community. Because really all the way back, the very beginning we find in Genesis 1 and 2 is God creating humanity to live that way. And setting a certain day aside as holy is to say, let's be reminded every week that this is who we are created to be. This is who God is as our king and this is who we are as his followers. This is who God is as our father. And this is who we are as his children. And what we're to be understanding at that point is it's not just crucial for the people of God. It's not just crucial for the followers of Jesus. Not just crucial for the church on Sunday morning. But this is crucial for the world. Or we might say around here, this is crucial hashtag for the region. Right? Because God still today wants to show the holiness, the grace, the compassion of his name Father, through us, to prove himself holy through us to the world around us. And that's why God says, would you let me give you a heart of flesh? Let me remove that heart of stone. Wherever you've gotten hardened in your life toward another person, whether it's your arch enemy or not, sometimes a hardened heart begins to shape towards our spouse. Hardened heart starts to shape towards our neighbor, even our friends, co-workers and classmates. And God says, would you let me remove that hard heart and give you a heart of compassion, a heart of grace, a heart of flesh? Would you let me give you a tender heart and even give you this spirit which is not just a magical ghost that floats in and out, but it really is this sense of a spirit of love and grace and compassion. Would you let me put that spirit, the spirit of God, in you so that I can show my holiness 
through you, that we might reflect God's steadfast love, his grace and compassion, and prove him holy through us. This is crucial for today. This is crucial for tomorrow, this week. This is crucial for us to strive after, to seek. This is the kingdom of God and his righteousness that Christ calls us to seek first. So I invite you this morning just to ponder this. Is there perhaps someone in your life that you've allowed your heart to begin to harden toward? Maybe even someone you didn't even realize. Maybe it's obvious to you. Yes, that is where my heart is hardened. Would you be willing to respond to this invitation this morning to just allow God to soften that heart towards that person? Because that may be the very person that God needs to reach through you today. Would you be willing just to pause in prayer with me and ask God to do a work right here and now? To not just think of it intellectually, that this is a thread throughout Scripture, that God has continually called us to be holy, gracious, compassionate, loving as he is. But to begin to think, what does that look like today? What does that need to look like this week? And Father, I believe all across this auditorium that you're bringing names and faces to mind. And that people right here are realizing, ah, I've been letting a, my heart harden towards them. Maybe I'm holding a grudge. Maybe someone here is, has uh, just been hurt so badly by someone that they're just struggling to get past that and offer forgiveness, that today might be a day to say, it's not okay what they did. I'm not condoning the actions of those enemies around me, but I am willing, Lord, to step into this way of forgiveness, to be slow to anger, and at least right here in this moment between me and you, God, between us, to offer mercy. And maybe this morning, Lord, we could even say, Father, remove this heart of stone. Give us tender hearts toward those we rub shoulders with daily. Not just for our own sake, Father, because we know that that kind of love is, is fruitful and encouraging and is, is not only a life that others might enjoy, but a life that, Father, you have for us to bring abundance to us. But also, God, maybe more importantly, as Scripture tells us, to show you to those people that that person may need you more than anyone else that you know. And Father, we might truly be for the region by living out this love. And Lord, I know that this kind of, this kind of surgery that you want to do on us in our spirits and in our, the depths of our souls is not a one-time deal. And so, Father, this morning is not just an opportunity to believe that you did it in an instant, but to say, God, may we commit to that this week, to continually, daily say, remove the hardness of my heart, Lord. Soften me to those around me, even to my arch enemies.
that Father, Monday morning, getting up and getting going is a day to live love. Tuesday morning, Wednesday, Thursday, all throughout this week, every day of our lives, to say, soften my heart, Lord. Soften us as a people and the projects and initiatives that this church is doing together for your name, Lord, that you might have all the glory and all the praise. That as we leave this place, Lord, we take this idea of following you, Jesus, very seriously. May we find strength knowing that that is where you're leading us and you will always go with us. In Jesus, your name we pray, amen.